Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. It's that time again. You know where you are. You should know who this is. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And once again, I got Mike with me. Mike, where the hell are you? I think you're you're in a are you in the van under the bridge? At the airport in the van, yeah. Thank God to Starlink. I love this thing. You kind of got me onto the whole Starlink bug. This thing's I'm a great. bad influence, aren't I? I know. Now I can be lazy and work anywhere. That's right. That's right. So for those of you who don't know, if you've never listened to the podcast before or you haven't heard of Mike before, you've been gone for a while. First of all, shame on you. Second of all, Mike's an airline pilot. He, he flies uh, the big jets, runs around, partner with me in the fund. And right now he's literally getting on a plane after we finish this episode and flying off the friendly skies. Or hopefully, are they friendly again, Mike? Or are people still cranky? <laughs> Holidays are over with, right? Well, that's why I closed the door. I don't want to know. Exactly. Close the door and just ignore all of us in the back. Yeah, man. All right. Well, this week, guys, we've got a guest for you. His name is Johnny Wolf, and he's the founder of Homeroom Co-Living. This is going to be exciting, guys. You're going to want to make sure you pay attention or roll back and listen to this episode probably more than once because we just had a little chit-chat before we started going here. I looked at his website this morning and a little bit yesterday. Really cool concept more in line. There's lots of providers out there. Since they have lots, there's several providers out there doing it. Mike and I have looked at that strategy for our investment fund before we get into the assisted living landlord model. Um, we did consider this as well. I find it exciting. And what I love about what they're doing is they're doing it to more of the the A class, B class type tenants. So with that, Johnny, welcome to the show. I was so excited to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So t- tell me, how did this get rolling. I mean, usually there's an origin story with this and you're, first of all, you're out in Kansas city, right? Yes, I am. Okay. How did I've driven by lots of houses and and people that had roommates and whatnot. I I have a friend that does, does this, but not in an organized way. It's just a guy that likes having roommates and he rents out his house. And I live in Key West, Florida. So in Key West, we've got a major housing crisis. There's just no place to rent. Uh, tell me what was the, how did this get off the ground? What was the original idea that got this thing rolling? Yeah. So I lived, you know, in the Bay area of, um, after college and I worked in the Silicon Valley in finance and I started investing in real estate in 2008. It was sort of like my side hustle, um, right. you know, fi- being in finance, doing real estate investing is a, a nice fit because you could like run the numbers and then run them again, sure. try to tune the numbers. So, um, 2015, I was kind of in that class of people in San Francisco that are like, maybe I'll never be able to afford to buy a house. So I'll be the kind of uh, poor house or like lack of house poor. And the, the house was keep house prices kept going up. And I kept feeling like I'm never going to catch that. So I moved to Austin um, and started to invest in real estate like Matt. I bought um, a number of houses and I had run, I lived in roommate houses in the Bay Area because it's most even software engineers do it there. And so I just made sense to do that. So I bought a number of properties in Austin 2015, rented them all by the bedroom. It was my first uh, take at actually property management. Uh, And roommate property management is an interesting experience by itself. And then you add, you know, so there's a lot of things I was learning, um, all the while doing I was a director of finance at a startup. And so I, I, you know, wanted. And so I started to tell my friends about the returns I was getting when I was renting out properties by the bedroom. And they're all super jealous, which is like, you know, it's like, what, what emotion do you want from your friends when you talk about your investments? It's like (laughs) jealousy. Right. And so, and and they're like, how do I, how can I do this? Right. Yeah. Um, And, um, and yeah, so I, um, I thought in 2018, 
it seemed like the startup I was at wasn't going to kind of make it. So I right. moved to Kansas City to start investing in real estate again and uh, decided I would open up opportunities for other investors to buy like I had. So, so Homeroom was born. That's pretty awesome. But when I think about it, I've managed my own property before. Won't do that again. Um, I should say that I still manage some of our vacation rentals, but uh, I do it with my wife because she's a lot better at it than I am. The uh, I'm trying to think of the logistics of trying to manage several different people that are not related in one house. What's that like? I mean, are that is it like fighting all the time? Is it a, a complete shit show? I mean, how do you? I imagine you got to be real choosy on who you put together. Is there? Well, I mean, do you mix sexes and all that? What's that look like? Yeah, you know, I think it's one of those things. You know, so many things in life where you like. I think about you know if if. If I was going to try to build a car from scratch, like I have no engineering background or like I would, I would basically look at it like that is simply impossible. If there's no, if there's no mechanical engineers, I would, there would, and I was the only one left, there would be never a car again. Right. And so, <laughs> but what they, they, what the engineers do is they get really good at the details and they make, they chunk down the problem and they make the pieces all work together. And so that's, right. You know, not not as if like roommate housing is a car. I think a car is drastically more complex. But we chunk down every problem that we see in a roommate house, you know, and we make it so it's stress-free for the owners, right? That's really the goal. Uh, and it involves like little things like we do a maid service once a month and the maids give a grade on the cleanliness of the house, report back to us. And if the roommates have bad cleanliness scores, they get fined and the maids go again and they pay for it. It's not really a fine. They pay for the second maid. So it's it's like you got a carrot and a stick. Good behavior benefits them. Bad behavior doesn't. Um, and so the the real con, you know, and man, I could tell you some crazy stories for sure about <laughs> like things going going sideways and all that. But a vast majority of roommates get along fine. Um, it's, you know, in the high 90th percentile. And the the 2% that we have real issues with, we we have a council that will escalate to. But it's way more people get along that are willing to live with roommates than than the than you'd think, um, and that's sort of what I saw in San Francisco when I was living there. Is I had like thirty roommates in one house, and like we had one guy that we really nobody liked, but everyone right. else kind of got along, right? Because like you're living your life, you know, as long as you you know, it might be some minor frustration around dishes, but like so we put all these checks and balances in the house. We do we do lawn care for the roommates. All these little tension areas, we we kind of like we smooth over. So there's more of a, a good ecosystem for good relationships and nice. not tension with, with homeroom. So you've identified some potential hiccups, but steps in place or systems in place to make those things happen in spite of the tenants. Uh, like exactly. for example, yeah. the monthly cleaning and whatnot. So nobody can really be a pig pen for more than 28 days, essentially. Uh, yes. I, I, that's interesting. So I, obviously, yeah, you if you remove the roadblocks, people don't really have any other choice but to get along, right? Because there's if there's nothing to fight over, there's just nothing to fight over. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we, yeah, and there's going to be, the cool thing is, is that humans are generally similar in what they get aggravated about in a roommate house right. too. So you just kind of build things that like mitigate that type of problem. And then you, once you figure out the best way to approach that, then you just do the the next one. And there, there's a finite amount of problems in roommate properties that were, and we've, gotten we've seen we've seen most of them at this point we've had a few thousand tenants i'm sure there'll be more that'll surprise us but we get surprised less and less like every, every <laughs> i can imagine yeah. yeah you get that phd yeah. in experience as they say right the seminar <laughs> yeah a few thousand tenants yeah i'll take an honorary phd if anyone wants to give it 
There you go. There you go. John, Johnny, when I first read your bio, I, I was super excited because how you described how homeroom started, all those problems in California, everything, the single family houses are overpriced, people are getting priced out. Now it's like countrywide for the most part. Those same problems you've experienced have now gone countrywide. So in the past few yeah. years, since the 2020, has have you seen homeroom expand like way beyond the borders you ever imagined? Yeah, one hundred percent. We um, we especially in, you know in these ancillary markets that a number of people or not a number of people, but I think the natural impulse is like somewhere like Kansas City. Is there enough roommate demand? And the answer is like there's a lot of roommate demand in like Indianapolis, Kansas City. Um, it's always been super dense in San Francisco and you were uh, in Florida where you mentioned. Um, but it's the need for kind of affordable housing is getting like um is continues to exaggerate so it, yeah. it's a really good time to be providing a model because building new inventory building new homes the the, the materials don't provide affordable housing it's too expensive to build new right. so it's like we you know we really believe that the the key to what you're talking about which is housing affordability either renting and we don't really do the own side um currently but is really in like refurbishing or repurposing an existing space and so that's, I think that's where the future for affordability lies. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in a small town in Colorado and Tyler's heard this story. He always gets a kick out of it. So there's signs everywhere that says SOS. Basically, the, the bartenders, whatnot, the housekeepers can't afford to live in the town. So the city has allowed them to live in their cars in specific parking lots. It's gotten that bad. So that's when I hear your story. I'm like, wow, you know, the whole affordable living thing, it's the new big thing. Airbnb, I feel like a few years ago, that's what everybody wanted to convert their single family houses to. But now the market is changing from rather people going vacation. Now they need they need a place to stay. So I'm curious at all of your homerooms, what's the age demographic who usually stays in these places? Obviously, I don't think it would be uh, you know, a family with nine kids or anything. Um, yeah, we're, we're 18 and over. Um, I think it's possible to have, you know, families living in shared housing at some point, uh, but we don't, um, we, today we, we don't ha have that option. Uh, but the average age is 29. Um, so mm -hmm. it's, you know, uh, it's not, you know, college students were not student housing, which is like its own real estate niche, um, that I think is very interesting and potentially a neat, a natural expansion for homeroom, but it's not what we do today. Um, it's really, you know, new kind of new new careers income in the forty to fifty thousand dollar a year range, uh, typically pretty healthy credit scores, and you know, they stay about a year and a half. Um, we've had some people who have been staying with homeroom since the beginning of the company, so wow. about four years, which is pretty cool. Um, we check in with her ever I check in with her every year because you know I interviewed her personally when she first moved into one of our houses. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty cool to see, um, that it's not just like an 18 to 22 year old thing. We do have some people yeah. in their fifties that live with homerooms oh, wow. um, and, you know, because it's half the price of rent of an apartment. So, right. which is really appealing to a lot of people. I love that your business model is solving a major, major problem. And, you know, I'm, I live in Key West, Florida, where I'm sure everybody in the market feels that their market has a worse crisis than we do, but we don't have any service workers left anymore because they, a one bedroom apartment is upwards over $3,000 a month. A two bedroom is over $4,000 a month. 
That's if you can find one. It's so bad. I'm in the real estate space, you know, all of my working life, pretty much. I could not find a place to rent until it was like two days. I literally had our stuff in a U-Haul. I almost had to leave Key West because I couldn't find a place to live at any price. I wasn't even cost restricted at any price. I was willing to pay whatever it took to stay. Couldn't find it. With that said, I got involved with city council and I'm not a city councilman, but I got to spend a lot of time working with the local governments in in the Tampa market and in in the Key West market. And what I find is zoning, everybody says, oh, we have a housing crisis. We want to solve it, yada, yada, yada. Doesn't seem like the zoning departments and permitting are agree. Have you guys had pushback on this model? I mean, I, I can I know I've had it in Tarpon Springs. I've had it in Key West. Yeah, we want to solve the problem, but no, you can't do that. You can't put six people in that house because they're not they're not related right. or something. Rather, it's a zoning violation. How are you overcoming that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the um, you know, the splashy news titles are like housing crisis but right. you know the what the truth is is like we have a kind of a nimbyism problem i think more than any anything else yeah. because um the amount of square footage that exists today per person in the united states is like a thousand square feet which wow. is i think pretty good i think we can all handle we could all but you know there's just not it's not accessible right, right. and so um the the occupancy laws the unrelated the maximum unrelated, like some cities are much more friendly, right? So right. Austin, Texas is six, Seattle, I believe is eight. Um, but there's some cities that only allow two, you know, it's like, really, and so like Pittsburgh, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so um, that is an issue, right? And so homeroom, um, we have a city relations team. Um, we, you know, we talk to the coding officers on occasion. Um, you know, it, that's, and we have creative legal strategies that, in, that we believe enable us to go over those occupancy laws by creating essentially a corporate family with our tenants. Nice. Um, but we go, but we, we have to, we have to share those risks with our investors before they even make the purchase. Like, just so you know, you know, we have a, we have a, we believe that these laws are, you know, kind of unjust and we're also mindful of them, right? So we don't want to go into the Pittsburgh with two. If if we're going to go to Austin with six, that's much safer. So we'll, right. we'll kind of co- coach our investors through those different options, so we can mix and match. So that match it 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 um that we're finding the best risk profile for them with as well as the returns profile. So one of the when we just, when we landed on assisted living, one of, well, part of the reason for that is they the local governments don't really have much say in it because it's a federally protected class. And what we found is that, for example, like on R60 zoning, they'd say anybody, as long as they're in a considered an assisted living facility or assisted living residential, assisted living home, we can have up to six or 10 with a variance that they pretty much have to give you because they want the older folks in residential communities. That's great. I wonder, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to talk to, I've been working with a zoning attorney as far as changing the zoning on this one property we're doing right now. And in conversations with different zoning attorneys, one of the things they mentioned to me is these local governments are kind of walking a fine line of housing discrimination by telling you no. Because if you and I can't share a place because we're two guys, we're not married and not in a relationship, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, there's just no logic behind that. So I'd be interested to find out maybe you had to say, I don't I wonder if they could even prosecute, you know, because what are they going to (laughs) do? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's a coding violation in some cases, right? We don't, right. you know, um, and the coding, coding violations are something that you can, you can navigate, right? It's something right. that you have a conversation with the city, um, you comply with what they're asking for. And most of the time they go away, but I, I have a strong agree. I mean, I really agree with what you're saying where it, it doesn't make a lick of sense where you can have, you know, related, you could have 14 kids, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. right? Um, but for some reason you can't have in Pittsburgh, you can't have three unrelated people. Um, and so it's just, that's just a really bad look. I think for cities, I think it's a really bad look, especially at this time. Um, and so I think what they're trying to do with these, um, with these occupancy laws is essentially avoid the car on the, the, the front lawn. I think that's like the key. They don't want to sure. like create a, a property like that, which I think I, I can sympathize, sympathize with, but it's like, they're using the wrong methodology to control for that. Right. It should be like, if you park on the front lawn, it's a code violation, right? Yeah. Um, I think you have to have a few more coding violations in your book, <laughs> yeah. but like, which is like, if you're front, you know, if, if, if you're causing problems, like if your neighbors complain, it's a code, but like, it doesn't have to be this, no more than three unrelated, right? In these cities, and it, which you know, in college towns, like it's how students are trying to save money. There's a lot of people trying to save money on rent, yeah. And so, I think it's it's time to take a good look, long look at those. And I, I think there's probably a future state where occupancy laws and in, in that sort of, I would say, it's a clumsy um, approach should will be overturned. And I don't think it's that far out. Well, that will be the case. Um, I think right. it's really cool to hear that, at a, uh, a, you know, for the senior living that there's a way around that. So that's very cool. Yeah. That's yeah. And you get the, the, the federal backing, which is huge. It's good because when I talked to the zoning and I, and I called, I kept calling the zoning people, the planning people. And I'm like, well, what about this idea? Can I do this? And they're like, well, no, you can't do that either. Why not? Because we said so is basically what they tell me. And finally, I got to assisted living. I'm like, assisted living, by the way, Florida statute such and, da, 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 and federal statute such that says I can do it. Would you agree? And she says, yes, I would agree. I'm like, outstanding. <laughs> Off we go. <laughs> Here we go. I don't have to talk to you ever again. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Lose my yeah, number. And, yeah. I mean, and homeroom handles all that stuff, right? So for our owners, we have the compliance legal piece buttoned down. We have our legal strategies and, um, you know, homes are not these are not things that owners have to worry about with homeroom it's it is a long-term strategy where i could see it solving affordable housing crisis in the united states if at a federal level we see just a more blanket permissibility right Um, but in homerooms proper for investors we talk about the risk up front and then we mitigate all the risk in real time as things come up and it doesn't happen very often because our homes have exterior video cameras we mow the front lawn professionally we have make sure there's enough parking at each property. So the code officers, the neighbors don't complain. The code officers don't have, you know, talk to us very often. And when mm-hmm. that happens, we have a playbook, which we go through and we handle it and the owner doesn't have to get involved at all. So wow. it ends up working out really nicely for the investor. Um, nice. But yeah, I definitely have thoughts about, you know, kind of those laws and how, how it, you know, we're bemoaning a, a, a problem that like may have a solution that's really simple to fix. Hmm. So I'm a guy, let's say that has, cash sitting around that I'm going to invest. I mean, I'm considering buying a, a three, one or three, two and renting it just like anybody else. Right. What's the process when it comes to a homeroom? Do I first get some training through you or do I just give you, or do I invest 
uh, like in a syndicate with you or how, what does that look like? Yeah. So we have two products for investors. One is our turnkey uh, property option. So it's a property that you would own completely. You would come to us and say, I've got a hundred grand. I want to invest in, you know, a home and I want to get great yields and I want to have, you know, nothing I have to worry about. And that's right. pretty much both home and products. Uh, so we're going to pair you with one of our investments guys. They're going to underwrite properties. Our underwriting team will underwrite properties in the markets you choose because we're in eight properties. The that the benefit of that is we, we're pretty, we'll just help you find the right fit for you instead of like trying to cram you into the, maybe just the one market we're in. Right. Um, and so that, and so then you can match the returns parameters that you're looking for. Nice. And we'll, we'll connect you with our local agent to help you buy and close on the home. And then our team will set up the home for you. And so all that will be, you know, you'll write two checks, um, you'll review some deals, and but you won't really have to do anything else. And then our operations and leasing team will take care of the property on an ongoing basis, get it leased up, uh, manage it, and um, and you're off to the races. So that that's that's how you do it with a single family home with a syndicate. We also have the, the co-living fund. Um, you can invest. Uh, we currently have a minimum of 75000 into that fund. Um, but you, we're we're looking to open that up to a lower minimum investment. But it it um, that is another option that provides kind of an ongoing yield, uh-huh. as well as kind of a payback over five years. I know a lot of our listeners are, are thinking right now, like a lot of people have single family houses, and they're cash flowing two hundred dollars out of it because the rent is sixteen, their expenses are so high. So going through a, a homeroom situation where you rent out the rooms and kind of turnkey, here you go. What how, how what would the $200 turn into? What's the incentive? So it's very house specific. I think the I like to compare this to Airbnb short-term rentals, um, where some houses, if you Airbnb it, you'll get the same rent, right? Right. Uh, because you're not in a great location. And some houses you'll get way more and it won't be close. Um, and so that's the same thing with a co-living home. A lot of it is based on size. Uh, you know, a two-bedroom house. Um, is not going to rent for that. It's probably going to rent for less than, than as a, a whole unit. But if you get up to four bedrooms, five bedrooms, you start to get considerably more. Our average is like 40% more than a single family home um, over his versus historical. We like kind of look at like, you know, what it would rent for a single family home on an ongoing basis and make sure that we're kind of beating that. And so that's really what we're hoping for. But it does rely very, it, our homes have to be a specific form factor. To, to really achieve those max results. Uh, most homes with four or more bedrooms though can probably achieve the same with more stability, which means you're not gonna have turns. You'll just have, you'll have three roommates and then four roommates, three roommates, then four roommates. So you always have consistent earning potential. Mm. I know when Tyler and I were talking to city councils in several towns, remember the old boarding houses, the rooming houses back from yeah. like the 1800s? Well, yeah. we've noticed that's still in the zoning laws. That terminology, it is. like for example, where I am now, I looked up the definition in my city, and it's basically you rent uh, to three or more people. You just rent by the room. In your experience, do you use that zoning category to your advantage, or would you have to get a zone variance to make it a rooming house, or how does that work? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and we um, we're looking at that right now. It's not something that. We don't, you know, with room, rooming houses, boarding houses, you end up having a different um, category of regulation, but you can't have a way more rooms. A lot in, in some cities like Fort Worth, they can only be in a multifamily zone. 
And so that, that ends up creating challenges. So we generally, what we're doing is saying, Hey, we have, it's Fort Worth laws five. We have five unrelateds. We wrap into a lease. It creates a family, a family unit. And so we're generally doing it in the single family zones. Uh, that's our preference. But I think there's a future state where we're going to kind of find uh, friendly boarding house laws um, and, and do that because then you can end up having nine, 10. And the, so rent can go even further down and the yields will be good for the investor. So it is interesting. A lot of cities also have limitations on boarding house numbers, sort of like uh, like an Airbnb. You can only have like 100 in Austin or something like that. Like same yeah. thing. They limit how many people. It's a much more difficult approval process, but it is intriguing for sure. One thing I noticed, I do, uh, over the years, I've been an educator for a company called Advanta IRA, not as an employee. I just volunteer. They have me come in and I do training seminars on how to underwrite property and how to negotiate and all this thing. And the whole idea is, is that the self-directed IRA administrator wants to see their account holders get their money moving because that's how they make their fees, right? And if the people just open up a self-directed IRA, the money sits there and does nothing. <laughs> the investor doesn't make any money. The IRA the company doesn't make any money and everybody loses. One thing I see, especially with self-directed IRAs, is that the people, a lot of folks are parked on top of their money because they don't know what to do with it. They're afraid of getting in trouble for not being a true passive investor. It sounds to me like your business model is ideal for somebody that has a self-directed IRA. Because if this turnkey yeah. thing, and I'm just putting my money in turnkey, it's literally hands off, right? It's literally hands off. That's and it, and I, as someone I have invested in self directed myself in this model, so it's you know you just send checks. That, that's what they that's what they yeah, want to right. see. You send some checks, you kind of chill, and you and you just kind of wait until you're 65 is like what they what they want, and and um, and so this is a, a great model for that option. It sure sounds like it. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot better than Wall Street, that's for sure. <laughs> I bet you didn't yeah. come to work in a helicopter today, did you, Johnny? <laughs> not today. I did not I come to work I in a helicopter. Any, I don't see any Mr. T starter kit and gold chains happening there. So you, <laughs> you actually earn your I'm money. Not, I don't it? just yeah, I don't have like a Scrooge McDuck vault just like behind right. me behind my oh, side right. that I just now you're dating yourself. It. I swim in. <laughs> That's awesome. So for the person that has a self-directed IRA, what do you say? What's the minimum that you would bring somebody on as a turnkey person? Yeah, for a self-directed IRA, it depends on the provider. Um, we generally say for a standard loan, it's about a hundred grand. Okay. Right. Because there's two components to a homeroom. Because we're going to do the construction after you purchase it and you'll pay for that out of pocket. So okay. that'll be so you'll you'll bring about a hundred grand with the typical twenty percent down. Um, some self directed IRA self directed IRAs out of pocket or leverage ratio can vary. Yeah, so it's about 50%. if it's if it is twenty, yeah, so it's a fifty percent. So it'd probably you'd probably look at um, hundred and eighty grand maybe or hundred and because it would be three hundred thousand dollar home on average plus your thirty thousand in construction, which wouldn't change. One thing oh. I know some of my listeners, I got some pretty savvy listeners. They're 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 right now in their car going. But Tyler, what about what about, about UBIT tax, right? Because it, with an IRA, if you take on debt in an IRA, you're subject to uh, unrelated business income tax. Not a CPA. Check with your CPA. Yada yada. All that stuff. Don't do what I do. Uh, but if, in the case like this, it's truly hands off. A partnership becomes pretty easy. So if I got, you know, if I, if me and Mike and three other guys, two other guys decide we want to do one of your homes and we each put Definitely 50K, 100K into it, it becomes easy for us because right. we don't really have much to argue about because you're doing all the work. 
we give you 400 grand cash out of our IRAs. Now you, we've front-ended the thing. So there's no debt, which means assuming that the house is 400K or less, whatever the numbers work out to be. But we front this with our IRA cash. But then we get to split the returns depending on how many partners we have in it. There's nothing to fight over because you're doing everything. It sounds like a home run. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it makes it... Um... There's not, yeah, there's, we, we generally are driving the car for you. And that, right. and I think a lot of, pro, you know, even a typical property manager is going to do things like, you know, we'll talk to you about rental prices. Do you want to lower your price up your price? We're going to use it. We use data science models that pick the right price based on the day of the year. And we just say in our member agreement with the owners, like, we're going to change your prices up or down based on, you know, the data we have, right. and it's going to maximize your revenue over a year. So you're sitting there like, trusting us to make better decisions than you're making would make because we have thousands of data points on this. So yeah, right. there's not a lot to fight over and you can kind of like feel comfortable that we're running it how you would want to run it if you had like a data scientist at your back. All right. That's exciting. Mike, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah. So I guess with the whole IRA idea, could it, could it be possible? Like let's say I got half a million in my IRA. I put the money in, you go find it and everything and furnish it and everything for me. So now my IRA actually owns that one asset. It wouldn't have to be shared, right? So then you're kind of like the property manager for it? Essentially. Yep. We're the, we're going to be the pro, that we're going to be the investment broker, property manager. But the, the real value we add is the plot the the platform and like the unique model that maximizes rent. So we're a property manager that actually pays for we say we pay for ourselves because you know, our fees are much less than the increase in rent that we would add to your property. Makes sense. And I think you said earlier that you guys furnish it, right? Yeah, we have a, we, our teams locally will furnish the property and, and get it taken care of. Wow. Now, is this open up to everybody in every city in America or do you just have specific cities uh, you like to focus on? Yeah, we're, we're, we're baiting in eight cities currently. We, the goal, I, we, you know, we've seen that roommate demand exist. We think there's a thousand cities that could use this model. Um, kind of throughout the United States. And so we're, but we're really focusing on eight today to kind of fine tune it, uh, learn about roommate, you know, roommate experiences, maximize the rent there, uh, build our data science model on pricing, um, and eventually looking at expanding kind of pretty aggressively in like the coasts. So we've started in the middle of the United States and we're kind of going to move our way outwards. Let's talk about the the dirty C word for a minute. Uh, When COVID broke out, my my short-term rentals initially went flat because the governor said, Hey, you got to shut them down. Um, that lasted for about 30 days. We lost about $80,000 in, in reservations in 18 hours after being deer in the headlights for about 18 hours. Um, we pivoted, went to, went to, to medical providers, nurses and whatnot. And then we did fine after that. And then of course, when they opened the cage and let everybody out, the crazy people out in the street again, we were swamped. I mean, I made a killing during, I don't know how anybody with a short-term rental, got a stimmy check during the COVID because I was getting paid, paid, paid during, during COVID. How did you guys do in this, in the co-living space? Yeah. I mean, you, you gulp real hard, like when it hit, right. Cause right. like you, um, you have, you have multiple, you have a lot of young, uh, our average age was younger when we started. So we had a lot of like 24 year olds, 25 year olds who were still working, um, mm-hmm. all together, but we just, we, um, so, uh, you know, I wrote, a candidate uh letter to our investors like you know i don't know if we'll what's going to happen here are we going to make it through i honestly don't know 
Um, It played out actually pretty well because at that point we were at like 100% occupancy. We had, um, yeah, we just, there was just, we just couldn't get enough houses fast enough. And so at that moment in time, we had 100% occupancy. No one moved. No one felt like moving or no one wanted to move. And um, people, some people moved out of their parents' house to replace a couple tenants that left because parents didn't want their service industry uh, 24-year-old living with them to bring COVID home um, because they had higher risk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And so we ended up doing fine. Um, We built a COVID protocol where we'd like, if someone got COVID, they'd tell us, we'd notify the house, we'd turn off the cleaners, we'd like tell the person to go to their room and stay there and we'd send them food if they needed it. Um, And uh, we we only had a few houses that got it. Um, but we, w- it just became like, just part of the business. We just COVID hit house, got bread tagged. Worked through and it. We, we just, yeah, we just worked through it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, it was scary though. I mean, like we have a, you know, community channel where everyone talks. And so the, the, you know, at a hundred roommates talking about the challenges of that time too. And so I think that was cool. It was, it was, I think it was, I lived in one of the houses and it was, I think it was better to live in a house with like five people. Right. Than being like in a single, like an apartment by yourself when you couldn't leave. Yeah. Do, I like, have, 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 do some fun things at night and have some social interaction. Hey, Johnny, I can hear my, our listeners listening right now. They're thinking, well, I'm dealing with one tenant's hard enough. If I got to deal with six in a house, what are some misconceptions that most people think would be the heartaches that are really not so bad at having six people in a house? Yeah. Um, that is, you know, that's definitely um, kind of a need. It's so totally a knee jerk to the concept. Like, isn't this, you know, what if they, people don't get along, you know, what if, you know, there's drama in the house and I want to pass it in a rental. I don't want to have to deal with more drama. That's like, yeah. cause even normal single family home tenants are dramatic sometimes. It's just like, yes. Ah. So, um, you know, it, the truth is there's probably 10 times more, pieces to roommate house roommate houses because of the dynamics but we've slowly over time built um in-house processes that just handle each one it's how we onboard each individual roommate it's how we do a interview between the tenants before they want to moves in you know it's how we do a uh, maid service in the house once a month and we take pictures of every part of the house and send it to our operations team who reviews that those pictures it's how we have exterior doorbells to look outside the house so you're basically just putting a layer over the top of the house to make sure that things stay healthy. So if you have a healthy ecosystem and the tenants know what they should do and what we expect of them, and you have a carrot and a stick, a carrot for good behavior, which gives them some incentives. And then you have uh, fines if they if the house gets too dirty or if there's issues, they have to get escalated to a counselor. So we, we we've it's sort of we have a team that they don't work. They work hard, but not that hard anymore right? To keep the tenants happy, keep them paying on time, all that stuff. It's just like managing little mini multifamily buildings. Solves everything with systems. Yeah, exactly. This this is a great example of the power of of investing within teams. Because I can't imagine, could you imagine Johnny trying to do this by yourself? I mean, I imagine you did do it by yourself on day one, but looking back, could you imagine trying to manage one of these, a couple of these houses all by yourself? you partner with somebody like your company with homeroom. Now you've taken all that off your shoulders. I think it allows you as an investor to scale a lot faster because you're not stuck in the minutia. 
when Mike and I get into the assisted living business, we had a decision to make. We could own and operate an assisted living business. In other words, hire the caregivers and all this stuff, or we could simply focus on being the landlords of the real estate. And the attraction to the business side of it was exciting because there's a lot of money in assisted living, let me tell you. But we both agreed that the last thing we wanted to do was buy a job. And I love what I love about your model is that you're not buying a job. You put your money to work, you go out and get an asset, it cash flows right out of the, you know, in a reasonable amount of time, obviously you got improvements to do. You guys have teams in place to do that. You got teams in place to do the furnishings. Now you hold this thing for a couple of years. Uh, what happens at the exit? I mean, obviously you, you have some sort of a contract where we give you guys notice, Hey, we're going to sell this thing in five years or whatever. Is that legit? Are we locked in for a certain amount of time? If we do one of these with you guys? Um, yeah, it's a good, we, um, it's a good question. And, and I, um, I did. I had one comment, kind of on what you had, what you had just said. Is um, uh, one of our investors was like Austin Allison from Picasso, the CEO uh, CEO of Picasso, and uh, before I like pitched him on um, investing in our company, I watched a, a few of his like CNN or interviews on like Fox or the right. kind of like these NBC. And one thing he said, and I like said it to him when I talked to him, was like anyone can do this but like why would you want to and we can we 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 can do it a bit better right you know and i think that like there's not a lot of people doing things that nobody can do although maybe you know probably elon is doing a decent amount of them but like right. do you really want to do it because like you only have so much time and um you kind of want to it's sort of like you want to outsource the things that aren't particularly fun which i would say right. like property operations not super fun. Exactly. Not a lot of like self like growth that is going to happen there. I guess more patience potentially and good accounting skills maybe. But like I think it's a I think I I I love that Homer runs my properties and I pay them <laughs> the same management fee as anybody else. But I do not want that money, no doubt. Um, and then kind of to get into the the exit. Um, yeah. So we we have a number a couple way and we have a few investors that have exited. Most investors have stayed with us since day one and they just stick around. Um, but, uh, the few, uh, we had a couple that needed to sell for, um, to buy one that needed to sell to, for them to buy an apartment for their, um, daughter who's going to college. Oh, and so we just turned around and had that sold to another home or investor. And so they were nice. able to sell it at a market or a bit above market. Um, everything stayed the same. It was great for us. It was great for the original investor. It was really good for the new investor. Um, so that's that's a lot. That's typically how it works because most investors are like, okay, I can buy a house and then pay to have it customized, or I can right. buy a house already set up. It's like I'd much rather do that. Over time, I think we're gonna have much more of a liquid market where you can come and buy one as is, no construction up front that you have to pay for because there's a bunch of houses that will come available as people need to exit. So exactly. that's how it works. Um, and so it's a, yeah, it's it's you know the liquidity has been there consistently where every house that we have someone scoops up super fast. Well, it's kind of like if it ain't broken, don't fix it. If you don't need to sell, well, there's no real point in selling. You know, one of the things that I think about, it's like, I, I've told this to investors before. It's like, at what point do you want me to stop giving you checks? And nobody's ever really given me a day <laughs> ever. It's like, well, I just, and even before we opened the fund and I did my investment, I, I used private equity to buy cash flowing real estate in the past, my multifamily buildings and whatnot. The investors never want their money back. 
I get, you know, we'll do a refi. We'll, we'll recapitalize them. And now their money is just making hand over fest. And what do they do when they get that check? They hand it right back over to us again in a different investment because, Hey, if it's working, why not? Right. Just keep it rolling. Let it move forward. I appreciate you taking the time to come out today. I learned a lot. I really dig your model, by the way. I'm a big fan. Um, guys, sure. if you listen to this episode, take some time to jump over, jump on homeroom, go over there, take a look at it. Number one, you might want to look at it if you're not happy with your current housing arrangement. But because uh, I saw some gorgeous, you know, some of the products you guys put out are fantastic. So thank you for doing what yeah. you do for the community. It's you, you so it seems like you do really good work, really good work. Appreciate it. But thank uh, you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, we're going to wrap it right there. We hope you guys took some value away from this. We hope you go do take some action. You got an IRA with some money sitting in and not doing anything. What good is that? You're going broke. I, it, inflation is eating up your nest egg. Get over to Homeroom. Take a look at what they got. They got two options. They got the turnkey option with 100K, maybe a little more, depending on what you want to do. Get on the phone with them and find out what's to be offered, right? Not an endorsement by any means, but here's the thing. I would never, everything I've ever done, I needed to get started to ever get anything out of it. I need to ask questions. Go see what's out there. Everything is very transparent, right up there. No problem. And if you want to get into a fund, kind of like what Mike and I are doing, you want to get into a, a fund where you're investing completely passively in one of these things, 75K minimum gets you in the door. One last question. Do you need to be accredited or is it a, is it a B? Uh, you fund? do need to be accredited for okay. our current fund and fund two, I will be taking checks from non-accredited investors. Okay. So right now, yeah. So right now, you guys, you got to be accredited. Basically means you $200,000 a year or more, 300000 if you're married, $1 million in net worth. They'll tell you all that when they're PPM and all their good stuff. We get on over there and check it out. You can have an amazing 2023. You don't have to let inflation chew away at your nest egg. You don't have to let some gold-studded stockbroker piss away your retirement savings on Wall Street. You can actually do something different and escape the rat race. That's what Cashflow Guys is all about. That's what we're doing. And we hope you guys join us on the next episode. We'll leave it right there, guys. We'll catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.